Welcome to my mommy's podcast. This episode is sponsored by my friends at Four Sigmatic, my longtime source for superfood mushroom infused beverages like tea, coffee, and elixirs. I've also really been enjoying their new plant-based protein powder, which is infused with seven functional mushrooms, adaptogens, and no harmful fillers. It's really easy to add to smoothies or to drink on its own in water. I've even made whipped cappuccino smoothies using their vanilla protein powder and a packet of their lion's mane coffee. It was delicious and a perfect breakfast. So many protein powders taste chalky or have that weird artificial sweetener taste, and theirs is made with no gums or fillers or artificial sweeteners, just natural vanilla, and it's delicious. They also now have a peanut butter flavor if you are a peanut butter fan like I am. If you are new to functional mushrooms, I also highly recommend checking out their reishi packets at night for better sleep. Check out those and all Four Sigmatic products by going to foursigmatic.com forward slash wellness mama and using the code wellness mama, all lowercase, all one word, to save 10%. Again, that's F O U R S I G M A T I C dot com forward slash wellness mama and the code wellness mama to save 10%. This podcast is sponsored by Olipop Natural Sodas. They use functional ingredients that combine the benefits of prebiotics, plant fibers, and botanicals to support your microbiome and benefit your digestive health. 90% of Americans consume more than the USDA's daily recommended added sugar intake, which is 30 grams. In fact, many of us consume way, way more than that. And sweetened beverages like soda are one of the leading sources of added sugars in the American diet. Olipop is much, much lower in sugar than conventional sodas, with only two to five grams of sugar from natural sources. No added sugars. Here's an example. Their vintage cola has just two grams of sugar compared to a regular cola, which has 39 grams of sugar, which means one can is more than the added sugar recommended for an entire day. Their orange squeeze has five grams of sugar compared to other orange sodas, which clock in at 44 grams of sugar. And all of their products are non-GMO, vegan, paleo, and keto friendly with less than eight grams of net carbs per can. I've worked out a special deal just for Wellness Mama podcast listeners. You can save 15% off your entire purchase from Olipop. I recommend starting with their variety pack unless you already know your favorite flavors. And the variety pack is a great way to try all of the flavors that they have. My favorites are the strawberry and the orange, but my kids really like the root beer. Check them all out by going to drinkollipop.com forward slash wellness mama and use the code wellness mama at checkout to claim the deal. That's D-R-I-N-K-O-L-I-P-O-P.com slash wellness mama. You can also find them in stores across the country, including Kroger, Whole Foods, and more. Hello, and welcome to the Wellness Mama podcast. I'm Katie from wellnessmama.com and wellness.com. That's wellness with an E on the end. It's my new personal care line. And this episode was so fun for me to record, and I know that you will learn a lot from. I'm here with Dr. Ted Achacoso, who is a polymath doctor with a one of the most impressive resumes I've ever seen. He's also one of the most impressive people I've ever had the pleasure of speaking with. And he's an expert, multiple board certified, an expert in many things, including uh, what he calls health optimization medicine. It's an entirely different approach to medicine beyond even functional medicine and, and naturopathic medicine. Also in things like nootropics, anti-aging, hormones, and so much more. And we go through 
a whole lot of different topics in this episode, including his seven pillars of health, things like vitamin D and some myths surrounding that, some nootropic substances, including methylene blue, which I have not talked about on here before, and a nootropic he created that uses methylene blue along with other substances. It's one of the more effective ones that I have found. But he walks us through simple things that can help optimize brain function quickly, improve sleep, his own 80-20 practices for better health, and much more. The amazing thing about this is he's probably one of the most intelligent people I've ever talked to. We barely scratched the surface on the first couple of questions that I wanted to talk to him about, so he will definitely be back for at least one more round. We didn't even get into consciousness, which he's an expert on as well, but I think you will learn a whole lot from him from Dr. Ted, who is an expert in areas of pharmacology, toxicology, neurology, interventional neuroradiology, medical informics, artificial intelligence, and much more. He is truly a wealth of knowledge, and I can't wait to share him with you. So let's jump in. Dr. Ted, welcome, and thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you. You come highly recommended by some of the people I trust most and look up to the most in this world. And I know there's about a dozen topics at least that you are legitimately one of the best experts in the world in and many directions we can go. But to start broad, I would love to kind of just touch on the topic of health, health optimization medicine, which I know that is something basically that you kind of created. And I, I think it's something that's not super well known maybe with my audience. So can you start off broad and just walk us through what that is and how it's different than maybe other types of medicine? Yes. Look, Katie, my training is uh, really in illness medicine. I was a pharmacology toxicologist uh, for a while, and then I trained in neurology, in interventional neuroradiology, which is like poking brains, right? I, I used to kid people that I used to poke brains for a living. And then as you grow up in the practice, you, you realize that all we're doing really um, is that we are, if we were a car mechanic, you know, all we're doing is actually, you know, replacing your tires or cooling your engine, you know, each time that you're sick and you come to us and that's what we do. But there's no one actually coming in to say, well, let's maintain your health instead of diagnosing and treating disease. You know, why don't we maintain your health? Right. And so that's that's equivalent to our cars now having, uh, you know, sensors like your windshield wiper fluid is low. Right. And your tire pressures are low. Those are recent inventions. And looking back, you know, uh, the reason why we didn't get this in medical school is that we actually didn't have the technology to do it, to look at what's going on inside the cell, right? An example of this is like, you know, people ask me, Dr. Ted, you know, is vitamin C good for me? Is vitamin E good for me? Before, we couldn't actually measure these things, but now we do have a way of measuring these things. So you don't guess anymore. You don't just bombard yourself with a whole host of vitamin B and, and declare it done, right? And, and so that's, that's the genesis of why over a decade ago, I said, well, it's time to move the needle away from disease, which is a diagnosis and, and a treatment of illnesses, right? Into... Uh, the detection of correction of imbalances. 
And so, Katie, what I was looking for is now where do we detect these imbalances? As I said, you know, like like the sensors in your car, when you go every 3,000 miles, your car has to go for maintenance, right? And we do that, don't do that that for our bodies. And I said, well, now we do have the technology to do that. So you can sense whether or not your alpha lipoic acid level is low and your CoQ10 level is low instead of just taking all of those. And the answer actually came from a field of science called clinical metabolomics, which is now about probably 45 years old, right? But it's only reaching the clinics now. So what is that? And that is actually very simply that Detecting what's called the small molecule metabolites. When your body processes things, right, it produces metabolites. Uh, when it produces energy, it produces metabolites. And those metabolites before were very expensive to measure or could not be measured. But in the course of time, you know, we were able to measure them. In fact, I have a joke in uh, biochemistry, in medical biochemistry, you know, we used to just memorize all of this pathways with with mnemonics and we were given exams on them etc and now when i go to lecture on physicians it's like yeah you're back to biochemistry but this time you really have to know your biochemistry right because you can now measure what you just used to memorize right so that that was um uh, sort of like the realization that i had and no one no one was teaching this at the time and uh already we we were seeing laboratories that were coming out that would measure your nutrients right the different levels of vitamins your a b c d e you know all of those vitamins it could uh, they could detect for example how your pro your the, the different amino acids that comprise your proteins whether or not you're deficient in arginine or you know uh, deficient in lysine and all of this before it was just all a guessing game they also are able to see how your fats are metabolized. Like for example, here in the United States and actually elsewhere in the world where Western medicine is practiced, you know, they just give so much omega-3s, right? Take your omega-3 capsules, et cetera. You can measure those now, right? You can see your uh, various uh, different types of omega-3s, your EPA, your DHA. And then what I find now with my patients and with my clients, clients because they're not sick, right? Um, um, with my clients is that you know, they now have too much omega-3 that their uh, omega-6 levels become deficient, right? And so uh, since we, we, we were just giving this willy-nilly to people, and we, in fact, we were treating this like drugs. Therefore, the key in, in um, health optimization is really the balance, right? It's basically uh, the detection of borderline deficiencies and subtle toxicities. Now, if you ask me, you know, why did I settle on clinical metabolomics as the way of diagnosing, right? Why not use the, say, genome testing? And that's really a very fair question, but it's actually easy to answer. When you're looking at the gene, right, you're only looking at the potential. So, but when you're looking at the metabolome, you're looking at what's actually happening now to you, right? You're currently deficient in vitamin B2 or B6 and so on. So when you do that, um, you see that very, very quickly, you see that the effect of the environment is more reflected on your metabolites than it is on your genes. And a quick way to remember this is that I cannot detect if you're having mercury poisoning or your the levels of your mercury or your arsenic, as is common in Asian populations, right, where uh, they are rice eaters. Uh, rice usually um, has uh, some arsenic in it due to the milling process and, you know, you see the arsenic levels rise. And this is undetected by your illness medicine doctor, 
So that's the you know that's the value of staying with what is happening now rather than what could possibly happen because there's no gene that says you know you are susceptible to mercury poisoning. It just won't do that. And right? so so now that we we have a uh, sensor so to speak uh, in clinical metabolomics, we can take a look now at okay, what nutrients are you deficient in, right? And I, I like to say, you know, uh, there are groups like nootropics or people who like to boost their brains, et cetera, and they classify, for example, vitamin B6 as a nootropic. And you go, you know, when you take vitamin B6, it just doesn't go to your brain. It goes everywhere in your body. So the first level is actually um, looking at all the cells in your body as basically a fundamental unit of healthcare, right? So, and these cells are communicating with one another. So in other words, you forget about the organs, you forget about the tissues and you go right into the cell. What does a cell actually need? Now, when you see that, you could see that the cells requires vitamins, minerals, hormones, and all of those can be measured. And then you can move those values to an optimized level. And what do I mean by an optimized level? An optimized level is value between uh, when you were 21 years old and 30 years old, right? And, uh, you know, the childbearing age for women, they say the, the optimal childbearing age is 23 plus minus two, right? And then the, uh, for men, the testosterone starts going down at age 30. So if you take a look at that, then you could, you could uh, uh, see that, you know, a 21 to 30 range would really be optimal, except for those vitamins are actually hormones that are evolutionary derived. For example, vitamin D, right? The requirement on illness medicine of vitamin D is really very low. And what I noticed over uh, a decade of practicing, just balancing this is that if you have a value 50 and above, you know, if you have any other disease, really a lot of your other diseases seem minor. Meaning they they uh, their their signs and symptoms uh, really manifest so much less, right? But that's just a personal experience with this, right? And so there are evolutionarily derived values like vitamin D, and as you know, vitamin D is very a uh, highly conservative, as highly conserved gene, right? It's been around for about seven hundred fifty million years, so ever since before even man, the gene was already there because humans are yoked to sunlight. So when you look at that and you look inside the cell then, so uh, what does a cell have, right? It has uh, cell membranes. So as I said, you could measure your fatty acids and you know, the cell membrane is made up of lipids or you know, fats. And then it, uh, you know, your, your enzymes, the ones that are doing all the work inside are actually proteins, right? They're made up of amino acids. So you could measure all of those levels along with you know, the, the next pillar after, there are seven pillars of health optimization. We just discussed the first, actually, which is clinical metabolomics. The second pillar is now bioenergetics or the mitochondria. The mitochondria are the powerhouse uh, of your cell, right? They, they are batteries and you have about 100 quadrillion of this. So you can do nothing without them. And as I like to tell people, Katie, especially in this time of a pandemic, right? is that the Department of Defense requires a lot of money. And so your mitochondria actually uh, needs a lot of energy in order to provide energy for your immune system to function. 
so what did the, you know, you could now measure, uh, you know, what the mitochondria is doing to your glucose, for example, you know, you could see uh, the metabolism when it has no oxygen and producing the ATP, the energy currency of the cell. And you could see when uh, it actually, actually is in the Krebs cycle and it's producing lots more ATP. And you could see, for example, there, if you have mercury poisoning or arsenic poisoning, you could see which particular parts of the cycle are being disturbed or blocked, right? And in particular, for example, lack, so lack of vitamin B2, for example, will, will uh, shut it down, or vitamin B1, thiamine, will, will uh, decrease the transport to the mitochondria. And for example, if you're burning, if you're burning fats, right? Uh, Acetyl-L-carnitine is a chaperone for your long fats to go into your mitochondria for burning, right? So you could see whether or not uh, you are deficient in acetylacarnitine. By you know, these levels can now be measured, and most people don't know that, right? These levels can be measured, and and uh, and uh, many people don't know that we can now measure this. And we have been measuring this for for a decade already, and it's already a not consumer level. So what can you do, you know, for to to rev up your mitochondria in, in your simple in a simple lifestyle? You know, um, it's shown in literature that an overnight fast of about twelve hours, right, is enough to rev up your mitochondria. So mitochondria are like bacteria. They are actually bacteria. They have their own DNA. You know, they divide. When, when the cell divides, they also divide. And the way I look at it is it, it's like cooking in a kitchen. So they, they cook your, for you. They provide you the energy. But if you don't stop cooking, it will continue dirtying up your kitchen. Right. So consider them like a self-cleaning kitchen, not a self-cleaning oven, self-cleaning kitchen. Right. So uh, the next day, for example, if you fast for around 12 hours or so, then you will have new kitchens available for, in other words, new mitochondria that's available for you to be able to metabolize your glucose and your fats. Right. Uh, so um, this is the, like, you know, I was talking about intermittent fasting way before it was called intermittent fasting. I just asked my, my clients and my patients, you know, try a 12-hour fast, which is like, you know, uh, the, from the time that you finish eating at night to the time that you have your first meal in the morning is uh, 12 hours. Me personally, I do 16 hours, right? And, um, you know, I usually, in any time zone that I am, I usually try to follow a 12 noon to 8 p.m. schedule. And that's because... Your intestines um, are usually begging for some regularity uh, for from from where you are in order to adjust to the time zone. Um, so that's that's bioenergetics or mitochondria. And the the exciting finding in the last fifteen years is really the gut microbiota. So this uh, when I was in medical school, the gut microbiota was not studied at all, and the immune system was considered the you know, your bone marrow. But in the last uh, 15 years, you know, we know that the largest immune system of the body is the gut. So if you want to boost your immune system, you better take care of your gut microbiota. Why? Because the gut microbiota are the ones that are actually teaching, right? They're teaching your immune system on what's foreign and what's not foreign, what will they, res they will respond to and what not to respond to. In fact, <clears throat> your gut microbiota are so important right, that certain uh, chemotherapeutic agents, uh, agents for cancer, won't work, you know, if they don't have a particular species of uh, bacteria uh, in the intestine. So we now know, for example, that depression, uh, anxiety, etc., can be due to 
dysfunctional communication between the brain and uh, the, your gut microbiota. When I was in medical school, we only had the what's called the gut-brain axis, meaning your brain and your gut were communicating. But now it's a three-party system, right? So it's the enteric microbiota gut-brain system. And that's a big jump, right? Uh, that's a big jump from uh, what we knew. So now you have, you know, plethora of, you know, probiotics, prebiotics, uh, uh, postbiotics, you know, symbiotics. You, you hear all those terms, but you could actually measure your gut microbiota, you, they, you know, can get a, a stool test and you can see, you know, what these uh, bacteria are, uh, whether or not um, they are in overgrowth. You know, some, some people would have some overgrowth of uh, some bacteria because they actually eat too much fermented food, for example. Uh, some will see that, that they have a fungal infestation, you know, much uh, like candida uh, and so on. And you could see that. Moreover, you could also see the metabolism of your fats. Now, for example, my requirement for fiber, the average requirement is uh, that I, I uh, throw around is about 34 grams of fiber a day, right? And this fiber serves as a scaffolding for your poop, right? And of course, this is also used by your bacteria in fermentation, right? And they actually produce uh, what's called butyrate, which is the fuel of your colon cells. And uh, for example, in illness medicine, they found out like, hey, low butyrate levels are actually correlated with colon cancer. And you could see many, stud many studies on that, right? So these are the kinds of things that you could see the butyrate level, you could see the ketone levels, actually, you could see the propionate level uh, and so on, just by looking at the stool and the gut microbiota. You could also see uh, things like, for example, if you have, uh, for example, uh, intestinal bowel disease or IBD versus IBS. You know, you could distinguish that with markers like calprotectin. So these are these are things that are normally produced, right, by by the intestine. But you can see how in what amounts they are being produced. So it, the the big uh, picture here is now before we used to think as the gut microbiota as separate from us, right? Oh, these are organisms that are outside of you. No, they actually are inoculated as the baby is actually going out of the vagina, right? Uh, so the first inoculum actually comes from the mother, right? It's coming out from the vagina. And you could see, you know, about two, three years ago, there were now some obstetricians who were doing a siren section. They would put, they would put a gauze in the vagina while they were cutting up the uh, patient for, for cesarean delivery and then as the as the head of the face of the baby is coming out they would wipe the gauze on the face to provide a good inoculum because it is actually sad that they have measured in kids right uh, uh, the gut bacteria of those who are born by cesarean section is that it's actually the skin bacteria that are predominant and it means the skin bacteria of whoever held the baby first right so and that's not good because you could see these children having a lot more immune problems. Uh, for example, they're more prone to asthma uh, and other uh, asthmatic skin diseases. Right? So that's important of that. It's like we consider the gut microbiota, which is about two kilos, right? As one organ in the body that actually develops after you're born. If you consider it that way, then you'll never get lost and say, oh, no, that's outside of me. No, that's inside of you. And it regulates a lot of your immune system. So there's clinical metabolomics, there's bioenergetics, mitochondria, uh, there's uh, 
got microbiota, right? And uh, gut immune system. And then uh, we go to something called exposomics. And this is uh, very important, especially now that we actually are not seeing, uh, you know, all of these uh, heavy metals that we're eating. For example, I had a client who was a pescatarian, right? He just ate lots of lots of fish for uh, over a decade, right? And so essentially, when I was uh, doing health optimization practice on him, I could see his mercury rising, but I couldn't stop him from eating fish, right? And so uh, what happened was that he actually collapsed. But if you take a look at his record in the hospital, each specialist had a diagnosis on him without considering mercury. You know, he was a cardiologist who say it was arrhythmia. The uh, hematologist would say it's just anemia of unknown origin. The uh, neurologist would say, oh, this is just cognitive decline due to age and, and uh, sarcopenia from muscle, uh, loss of muscle, muscle weakness from, from aging. But it's not. If you take a look at uh, his um, uh, mercury levels, you know, uh, it was rising until, you know, at the time that he collapsed and was admitted to the hospital, it was already uh, more than 50. So you could see things like this, uh, that, you know, over time, and you could already start balancing them. As I said, balancing of the subtle deficiency and uh, borderline toxicities would help a long way. And I'd like to emphasize it's not uh, preventive medicine, right? It is... Uh, health maintenance and health promotion. Because preventive medicine is still the purview of illness medicine, right? Like for example, vaccinations are preventive medicine and it's preventing a disease. And that's why I said, let's move away from disease orientation. And it's very funny, Katie, because when you have, for example, a client or a patient that has Parkinson's and that has heart disease and that has diabetes, right? It, you, they will get three sets of, this is how you prevent Parkinson's, you know, and you could see like this set of like 50 recommendations. And then you go, why? You know, why do you have to do that? It's not about disease prevention, right? Uh, so health optimization is before that. And we take care of basically of the fundamental needs of the cell, which comprises, of course, all of your organs and all of your body. So that's, um, you know, exposomics basically uh, important. Now I just read, uh, you know, in, in the last few days, there's been an article that uh, men's penises are shrinking, right? Uh, because of because of these uh, environmental pollutants, uh, they call the uh, endocrine disruptor compounds like phthalates in your plastics, right? And so on. Um, if you just do, uh, you know, a search on men's penises are shrinking, you'll see, you know, those uh, uh, articles pertain uh, to this. And this field is called exposomics. And most people are familiar with what's called the human genome database because the genes were first, right? But we, we were talking about the metabolome. There's actually a human metabolome database. And the large one of the fastest growing uh, segments in the Katy are poisons arising from female cosmetics. Right, so be careful of what you put in your skin. I like to think of the skin basically just as an inverted intestine, right? It will absorb what you put in there. So be careful uh, what you put in skin, and especially in the skin of your kids, right? Um, they're more delicate, they're less keratinized, uh, and so on. So uh, be careful uh, with uh, what you put in there. 
there's also a human exposome database, so you could see actually the uh, number of growing poisons. You know, the simple your simple weed killer that you use for your garden, etc. Uh, like Roundup, for example, and all of those. Those uh, actually will eventually find themselves in our food chain, and pretty soon, not only will they be there, but you uh, in, in in the ground, but you'll be eating them too, right? So that's exposomics, and then there's uh, chronobiology, and most of your listeners would be familiar with chronobiology. It's, uh, you know, you, the study of your rhythms, your circadian rhythms. Now, circadian means within a day, right? Within 24 hours. And circadian rhythm would then, uh, is, is just one of the rhythms, right? Women, for example, will, will be familiar with, with what's called an infradian rhythm. And that's for uh, menstruation, you know, uh, circa 28 days and so forth. And one of the interesting findings in the past few years is that men actually have testosterone cycles that are actually two peaks within 28 days. So I like to kid around that, you know, men have uh, basically two appetites uh, because they have two peaks in, in the month. So anyway, you could see here, and then there's the, there's the ultradian rhythm, right, which is below the 24 hours. Like, for example, a heartbeat has its, its, its own rhythm in seconds, right? So circadian rhythm is just our basically response to a 24-hour day, right? Uh, and so this is a very common problem. It's like, and people equate this to sleep and sleep problems, right? And we know that uh, when you are unable to sleep, uh, of course, the, you, you see what's called the inflammatory markers. Um, those are, the, are derived from activation of a gene this this uh, called nf kappa b you know they, they they rise right and we know that inflammation actually is the root of many chronic diseases see in western medicine we're very good at acute diseases right acute trauma for example that requires surgery and you know acute infections but we're really very bad at uh, management of chronic diseases right because it starts very slowly as as an inflammation and by by here what i mean is molecular inflammation you're not not not, not the you know redness swelling etc that you see that's already very much later but the production of what's called inflammatory cytokines right and when you are stressed for example uh, because your body is stressed because it you know when it can't sleep and so on so these inflammatory uh, cytokines will rise and therefore will contribute to uh, all of these effects that you experience when you don't have a uh, uh, good night's rest, right? And, you know, the average sleep cycle is around 90 minutes, right? You either have four or five uh, of those every night, but you, you can gauge this for yourself because the, the younger you are, the longer cycles are, um, the older you are, the shorter, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, if you're, it's, in, it's basically in between, in between the cycles that you are most likely easily roused. So uh, one of the things that if you know, ex you know, if you know, you know, that you, when you wake up and you feel like waking up already, despite the fact that your alarm clock uh, saying, you know, you could still sleep for another 30 minutes, uh, probably means that you already get up before you enter into another cycle. Say you have an appointment at 8 a.m., at 7 a.m., right? And your alarm is at six o'clock, but you say you woke up at 5.30, so what you're going to be doing is you're going to be entering, you know, another cycle again and waking up in the middle of a cycle feels like you've been hit by a Mack truck, you know, and for me, when that happens, I, I could not recover from within the day. It's like, 
everyone just, you know, get out of my face uh, sort of feeling, right? And your body feels very heavy. So that's uh, chronobiology as a pillar of health optimization. And of course, uh, we have to take up uh, epigenetics, right? And this is very interesting because my slide when I lecture on epigenetics is usually uh, three generations of women, right? And if your grandmother was a smoker, then she could pass on, you know, the epigenetic changes to to you as a mother, and you as a mother can pass it on to your kids. So it's three generations of women. So what is epigenetics really? Um, epigenetics are the mechanisms in the body whereby the genes are actually activated on or off above the gene itself. So it's gene regulation that is not occurring within the genes itself. So in other words, your DNA remains intact, right? But there are mechanisms, so that's why it's called epigenetic, mechanisms above that that control the, the reading or the regulation of your genes. And this is highly correlated, you know, with the foods that you eat. For example, methyl-rich foods, B uh, vitamin B, uh, B vitamins, you know, like uh, methylfolate and so on, that part of the methylation cycle. And we can measure this again. As I said, you know, we'll show your methylation state. In fact, there are now what's called epigenetic clocks, right? And the more ex the most exciting thing about this um, epigenetic clocks is that you can actually reverse them. And for example, the work of David Sinclair out of Harvard, right, is in in the retina, right, uh, that are that have already gotten quote unquote old. You know, he put in the uh, you know what's called the Yamanaka factors. It's, these are just these are the factors that won Yamanaka his Nobel, right, and, and injected it there, and it showed that it's like a Katie's like this. It's like a tooth that you know over time it develops all of this crud and plaque, right. And what, epi what this, uh, his technique does is that it removes the crud and plaque and restores them into a younger state. And so this is actually a game changer in health optimization, right? We could use, for example, your epigenetic clock to say, okay, illness medicine doctor, you gave you know, metformin, et cetera, for diabetes uh, and this for heart disease and for five years. And here's the epigenetic age of the patient. You know, the patient is actually... 40 years old, but epigenetically the patient is 70, right? And then comes to me and says, okay, you know, let me do just balance, you know, I'll set aside your diseases, let your illness medicine doctor take care of that. And we'll balance out your, your um, uh, nutrients and hormones and we'll see what happens. And you check after six months or nine months and you'll see, right? That, uh, that you actually now, you know, in, in, in six months, you know, from, the 70 that you got with the treatment of illness medicine, you'll probably get to like to like a, a 65, uh, you know. So you could see that you're actually doing something that's beneficial for the patient or the client. So now it's very, it, what I like about this is now you could hold the candle on the feet of illness medicine doctors and said, hey, you're actually aging the patient or the client a lot faster with your therapy than, uh, you know, just uh, uh, doing health optimization. Right. Well, of course, acute diseases for trauma, they have to be fixed. Right? But for chronic diseases, we have to think a little bit more that the, the body you know, is comprised of cells all over. And if you don't look at it that way, no one is going to take care of the, funda the fundamental level of 
no one's going to take care of the nucleus, the cytoplasm, you know, the mitochondria, the cell membranes, you know, and the enzymes in there, etc. Those are basic functions, right? Uh, so that brings us to the seventh pillar, actually, which is uh, evolutionary medicine. And evolutionary medicine essentially asks, you know, why do we get sick? And there are things in us that uh, the way we're actually designed by evolution that predisposes us to some disease or the other, or that uh, this is a natural way of doing things. If in illness medicine, we can take a look at this as like, oh, these are bad signs and symptoms, but by evolutionary me medicine, uh, you know, you say, oh, this is the way the body protects itself. So for example, uh, the example here that's easy to remember is an ankle sprain, right? When you sprain your ankle, um, essentially you're gonna um, have some swelling. And you know what, Katie, that swelling is actually equivalent to the cast that we're putting in, right? The body's, the, the ankle swells, that's like putting a cast in there. And then when you stand up, right, uh, it hurts, right? Because the body says, go and rest. Uh, we, you need to remove pressure from this foot. And what do we do in illness medicine, right? We, we give them um, a medication for pain, right? Here, take this uh, double Advil and, uh, you know, you'll, you'll be fine. But you're actually ending up abusing. So the point here is how much do we actually aid and abet nature and how much do we hurt nature by uh, giving in our interventions, right? So you could see here that the body has its own way of healing itself. And if you just uh, are sensitive enough, you see, oh, this is actually not a bad thing. Uh, illness medicine considers them bad things. Oh, the, the patient is having fever. Yeah, if, you know, if it's a child and the fever is very high, of course, you would like to prevent seizures, right? But for adults, mostly, you know, um, Fever serves as an effective, you know, antibacterial. You know, the, the, the body raises the temperature, kills bacteria, or inactivates certain viruses at certain higher temperatures. Because nature, uh, because protein denatures it with heat, right? And uh, these are, um, these, these are uh, organisms with protein. So there's a perspective here, which is the overarching perspective in health optimization, really, that we evolved, right? So instead of asking, why do we get sick? Health optimization medicine asks, how do we get healthy, right? And so you could see it's a very different point of view because when you're looking at the laboratory values, for example, there is like, for example, in, in, uh, when they're looking at your fasting blood sugar, it says, okay, you know, you're 95, you're, 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 um, uh, this is high blood sugar, et cetera. The cutoff is 94. And interestingly, Katie, when I started this, I was, uh, uh, I was telling people that the, the cutoff must be 94 when the cutoff used to be like, I think 104. And over the years, in, in less than a decade, they cut it down to 94, right? And this is just your fasting blood sugar. Uh, so there is no one value that will say, okay, you're sick and you're not sick. But that's what illness medicine does, right? Because they're looking at uh, what's called uh, survival value. So it's a survival value. So you, you need this. This is your survival value for your B vitamins, etc. But what's the optimal value? What value will actually help you thrive? Right? What, what value will actually be optimal for you or, or bring you back to the energy levels where you were? So, and that's the values between uh, 21 and 30. And I said, but the truth of the practice is as soon as the patient or client feels better, then you, you basically try to maintain that. But it's a dynamic maintenance. Right? Balance is not a static thing. So it's a dynamic maintenance. So those are the seven pillars. You start with clinical metabolomics. 
you know, bioenergetics, mitochondria, gut immune system, gut bacteria, exposomics, kernel biology, uh, epigenetics, and uh, the uh, evolutionary medicine. So those are not taught in medical schools, uh, but the overarching um, practice is detection and correction of imbalances and not diagnosis and treatment of disease. So there's my big opening lecture for, <laughs> for health optimization. I love it. I just took a bunch of notes for the show notes. Um, for any of you guys listening, I'm putting links to some stuff there that you guys can find to learn more. I know a lot of people are wondering, I'm certainly wondering, you make a really compelling case for this. How how do you start to test for those things? How rapidly and how often do you need to test? I would assume in a lot of these things, you can see changes um, pretty rapidly within the body. Um, but I'm, I'm curious, and I'm very big believer in people being their own primary healthcare provider in that we take individual responsibility for each of our own health. And I'm with you there. So how do we start to to practice this? I, I think you've made a perfect case for why this is better than preventative medicine or even different and better than functional medicine or just naturopathic medicine. But how do, how do people start to shift their mindset and actually do this testing? Yes, uh, there are uh, actually uh, clinical metabolomics labs. And, you know, uh, there's uh, labs by Genova that has been there for a while. There are uh, other labs that uh, that uh, do these kinds of tests. So essentially, what you do is uh, you submit uh, like free uh, specimen, you know, there's a urine, there's a stool. And uh, if you are taking a look at, for example, your food sensitivities, which is one of the things that it tests for for the gut, right? Uh, because uh, just as an aside here, you know, I had a, a woman who uh, essentially came, attended my lecture after she was in my, my um, uh, clinic uh, for just a month. And I told her to cut out, cut down on certain things that she was sensitive to, you know, just for a, sick, a period of six months. And within a month, you know, she lost, uh, she lost a, uh, a couple of inches off her waist. And that's how large your intestines can actually swell, right? When it's, uh, when it's uh, sensitive to some particular foods and they also trap air and all of that stuff. So it's is blood, urine, and stool, and they will they will test you for the metabolites. They will test the stool for the metabolites in the organisms, and they will test your blood for us. Uh, some are hormones, and some would be your sensitivities to to food. So th- those are uh, essentially I put them all together, and uh, from there you actually do a reading, right? You ask how often. So the body changes its. Uh, blood you know every 90 to 120 days so ideally you get a baseline and then after 90 to 120 days so three to four months right then you get another test but it's expensive for many people so i just say well okay let's just retest this after six months right or um after six months and then after after a year and uh, katie this is actually very interesting that you ask is because I have clients who come come in and say, Dr. Ted, I've been under your care for uh, a year already. I don't feel anything, right? And I ask them, you know, okay, how many times did you get sick when you were not under my care? Oh, about six times a year. And how many times did you get sick last year? Oh my God, I never got sick. So there's a certain rear view mirror quality to this uh, practice, right? That people basically realize it only after you point it out. Uh, or for example, uh, you know, I haven't, I haven't been really reaping any benefits from this. And you go, well, how many projects were you um, attending to the year before you came to me? It's, it's like, 
one, how many projects were you juggling this year? Four. I said, are you are you any tired? He said, no, oh, oh, you see, you see how how um this thing is actually quite an experiential practice, right? So until you experience it yourself, it, it's uh, very hard to explain it to people because you know there's a certain feeling of wellness that you know when you for example, for me, if I eat, for example, a super sweet piece of cake, you know, I I I really, really know that I'm you know, I'm paying, I'm going to be paying for it, right? For example, a scoop of ice cream is known to depress testosterone for about 24 hours, right? So you get you you, you get all of these things. But the, the nice thing about it is that when they start feeling well, right? So when they start feeling well, uh, then you could actually start sort of like a, uh, suggesting new habits, right? Oh, what I feel so good already, what else can I do? Right. And it, it, because it's the lifestyle is the most difficult things to change. And yet it's the most important thing that, uh, you know, uh, we should change. But it's not, you know, we're still instant gratification kind of kinds of people. We like immediate results. If you're doing hormone balancing, it's a different ballgame altogether. The results can come in the shortest two days to a couple of weeks. Right. So that's uh, a different practice altogether. And that's. Um, done by physicians but i'm training not only health optimization medicine um, experts but also health optimization practice experts uh, meaning people who actually are interested in you know doing this for their clients if they're not physicians the only thing that's they're different in the training is uh, really uh, the capacity to uh, the capacity to prescribe uh, drugs right and hormones are drugs so that's the only difference and you know, you can also do balancing a different way. You could do it with glandulars. You could do it with with uh, peptides and so on. So there's there are uh, actually options for doing those. So yes, it's uh, ideally uh, you know you note that change after um, 1920 days. If that's so expensive, then after six months. And usually the the longest where I got a a first feeling or burst of wellness is uh, nine months because the person was uh, very, very deficient, right? Uh, extremely deficient in a lot of vitamins and minerals and continued the eating habits uh, that he had. So you have to catch up with all the balancing. In fact, Katie, my, my comp my, the, they complained to me, how come I'm not feeling well yet? You know, it took you like, you know, 40 years to get to this imbalance. Why do you expect to balance overnight? Right? So it's just a, a matter of being patient and knowing how the body works. That's a good point. It takes a long term to get to this point, and it can take a little while to reverse it as well. You also, in your initial seven pillars, you mentioned the importance of vitamin D being a really big factor connected to a lot of other things. And I would assume that there's also a sunlight component here as well. I've been doing a lot of research on light and how it affects, for instance, chronobiology. And also, of course, vitamin D is very well documented for its effect. And I think also sunlight is a relatively controversial topic within the medical world. So I'm curious what advice you usually give to people concerning sunlight exposure, vitamin D, and how to get into that optimal range, which is, from what I've read as well, higher than the normal levels they tell you on a test. Yes, Katie, you know, I was one of the first to really give a very long lecture on vitamin D uh, in Asia. <laughs> and, you know, um, part of my practice is in Manila, Philippines, and it's really very so shameful, shameful because we have the tropical we are in the tropics, right? And the, the sun actually uh, is actually just overhead. So it's really at, at a, the best angle to, to generate vitamin D, 
for a, for the UVB, right? To generate vitamin D. But we have like, severe vitamin D deficiency over there because the people are actually using umbrellas, uh, you know, to shield the sun, or they would use like SPF 100 stuff. So my advice uh, really for, for vitamin D is this. So the body is yoked to the sun. You're, you're, you know, it's if you keep that to yourself, that you evolve, you know, with the sunlight in there. In fact, when you wake up in the morning, you're the sun is supposed to hit your skin, right? And when it hits your skin, it actually raises your um, your thyroid hormone levels and your cortisol levels. That's why you wake up, right? Because that's uh, actually good stress for the body. It increases your metabolic rate uh, and so on. So, you know, and then there's noontime and then there's, uh, there's evening. The vitamin D production is really dependent on where you are, right? Uh, the, the more you are in the northern or southern, the more the the higher you are uh, and the lower you are in the southern uh, and the northern hemisphere, then, you know, uh, the different levels of uh, vitamin D could be generated from the UVB rays because it depends on the angle of the penetration of ultraviolet D, right? So, but in the tropics, you shouldn't have any problem. So what I, what I do there is I actually ask them, you know, of course, you have a huge fight with your with a dermatologist, etc. But what I ask them to do, uh, especially for women, is just wear a sleeveless shirt. You know, put a put a ball cap on so your face is shielded. No um, uh, sunblock and expose yourself to the sun for about five to ten minutes at noon. Right, the the most unforgiving time, which is. Uh, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. is actually the best time for you to do it. And you can actually do the charts, uh, Google the charts on the internet, and you can see what your skin color is and how much exposure to the sun you need in order to generate the vitamin D, right? Of course, the fairer you are, the less vitamin, the less exposure to the sun you need than, than if you're darker, right? So you could see, for example, in black communities, there is actually uh, a, a lot of vitamin D deficiency. Right, uh, because they they need a lot more sun exposure. I'm brown skinned, and I really need a lot more sun exposure than most people. Now, the 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 thing that I actually am emphasizing here is that it's free. However, when it comes to the winter, you know, um, and um, and spring, right? Then uh, you know the the uh, for example, from late November to about early March, here uh, where I am currently in Washington D.C. I am not getting any uh, UVB rays, right? Because of the angle of the sun, it will just start rising over in spring uh, and all through and all through summer. So, what I do is I actually have a vitamin D lamp, uh, which is UVB, and there's a essentially a, a table for your exposure to um, the UVB lamp, right? And how how many minutes of it you should expose yourself uh, into. Uh, I used to uh, suffer really severe seasonal affective disorder, right? Um, uh, the winter blues and uh, the UVB lamp is one of the things that will prevent that. And you were asking about light, Katie. Light is actually part of the exposomics, right? Because there's such a thing as toxic light, right? For example, if you have um, essential, for example, if you have um, blue light that's overhead when when uh, actually the sun has already set. Right, so as so you, you as the sun rises, you know the hue, the hues are more red, and then they get more blue. But you also note that the um, the sun is actually getting overhead and setting. So even the you know it's not only uh, the 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 light itself that is important, but where it is coming from. Right, is it overhead? Is it from the side, um, and so forth? So there's a reason why you both have 
uh, overhead and and uh, uh, lamps in your home, right? And now there are bulbs that can can do that. You could actually pick the spectrum of light that could shine on you because light can be toxic. It's called phototoxicity, right? And you can see that it's also a drug. If you ever have seen a baby, uh, you know, that was born with uh, jaundice, right? Phototherapy is the thing that's being used there to actually um, uh, help heal the baby. So you could see the importance uh, of uh, light and vitamin D and don't rely too much on uh, the supplementation, right? Uh, for example, uh, before when I was trying to fix quote unquote, my seasonal affective disorder, I would take like 50,000 IU of vitamin D three times a week, right? Well, I would get diarrhea, right? Because it's a really, really way too high. And even better, one of the solutions uh, that I came up with for myself is aside from vitamin D on oral, I would also have the vitamin D lotion, which is uh, available, right? Uh, you, could, you could put vitamin D lotion on. So there are many, many solutions, but really, the one thing, if you can get out there, get out, but take a look. There's also, a, there are so, also so many free apps where you could put in your location, right? And, and you could match your skin color and you could see how much exposure to sunlight you would need at, and at what time. So if, it's, if, if there's no uh, UVB to be made, it says zero and it would re recommend, you know, uh, it would recommend uh, the D supplementation that you actually need. So these are, these are, you know, uh, as I said, it's older than us, and we're yoked to it. And uh, you would see a lot of things. I, in fact, uh, uh, Katie, as just as an example, I had a, a f powerful uh, female client, you know, chief financial officer of a, a huge company, and she came to me, and she was a smoker, and <laughs> that's the only uh, thing that she, you know what's not good with her lifestyle. But, you know, when I took a look at her values, et cetera, yeah, you know, she had all of these uh, imbalances that could be easily corrected. But I was marveling at the fa fact that it wasn't worse, right? And that she was in great shape, you know, no heart disease, uh, nothing. And I found out what her habit was, you know, at noontime, since it's, it's uh, forbidden to smoke in her building, right? So what she would do is she would actually, she's sleeveless, you know, she doesn't even wear a hat to cover her face. She would walk around the block and puff a cigarette. So, so she was getting her sunlight while smoking and walking around the block. So, uh, and, uh, and, you know, her vitamin D level was 60. And I said, you know, and all, all of her other complaints were secondary, you know, became secondary. Um, and and, and uh, that was uh, really a very... Uh, you know, it's one eye opener after the other when you go through, you know, we, we go through, you know, this is how we evolved. And if you just follow, you know, the, the way healthy people would evolve, right, then we would not uh, be stuck with too much supplementation. I love that. I certainly I don't think there's any health expert that would recommend smoking, but I have thought about that before that they do have a couple habits tied in that involve getting up every hour or so and at least moving and going outside. And those are objectively great habits. So we could all adopt those without taking on the smoking part. We'd be better off. Yeah. You know, but but hey, she, so she already had the habit. So it's like tie it and on there and then, you know, and then start decreasing her smoking habit. Right. Exactly. This episode is sponsored by my friends at Four Sigmatic, my longtime source for superfood mushroom infused beverages like tea, coffee, and elixirs. 
I've also really been enjoying their new plant-based protein powder, which is infused with seven functional mushrooms, adaptogens, and no harmful fillers. It's really easy to add to smoothies or to drink on its own in water. I've even made whipped cappuccino smoothies using their vanilla protein powder and a packet of their lion's mane coffee. It was delicious and a perfect breakfast. So many protein powders taste chalky or have that weird artificial sweetener taste and theirs is made with no gums or fillers or artificial sweeteners, just natural vanilla and it's delicious. They also now have a peanut butter flavor if you are a peanut butter fan like I am. If you are new to functional mushrooms, I also highly recommend checking out their reishi packets at night for better sleep. Check out those and all Four Sigmatic products by going to foursigmatic.com forward slash wellness mama and using the code wellness mama, all lowercase, all one word, to save 10%. Again, that's F O U R S I G M A T I C dot com forward slash wellness mama and the code wellness mama to save 10%. This podcast is sponsored by Olipop Natural Sodas. They use functional ingredients that combine the benefits of prebiotics, plant fibers, and botanicals to support your microbiome and benefit your digestive health. 90% of Americans consume more than the USDA's daily recommended added sugar intake, which is 30 grams. In fact, many of us consume way, way more than that. And sweetened beverages like soda are one of the leading sources of added sugars in the American diet. Olipop is much, much lower in sugar than conventional sodas with only two to five grams of sugar from natural sources, no added sugars. Here's an example. Their vintage cola has just two grams of sugar compared to a regular cola, which has 39 grams of sugar, which means one can is more than the added sugar recommended for an entire day. Their orange squeeze has five grams of sugar compared to other orange sodas, which clock in at 44 grams of sugar. And all of their products are non-GMO, vegan, paleo, and keto friendly with less than eight grams of net carbs per can. I've worked out a special deal just for Wellness Mama podcast listeners. You can save 15% off your entire purchase from Olipop. I recommend starting with their variety pack unless you already know your favorite flavors. And the variety pack is a great way to try all of the flavors that they have. My favorites are the strawberry and the orange, but my kids really like the root beer. Check them all out by going to drinkollipop.com forward slash wellness mama and use the code wellness mama at checkout to claim the deal. That's D-R-I-N-K-O-L-I-P-O-P.com slash wellness mama. You can also find them in stores across the country, including Kroger, Whole Foods, and more. And another topic I want to make sure we touch on that you are also an expert in is the idea of nootropics and how to use them effectively. A lot of people listening are moms. And I think of all people, moms are some of the busiest on the planet right now, but also some of the most effective, especially when given the right tools. So for anyone who's not familiar with the term, can you walk us through what a nootropic is and then some general guidelines? I know you've also helped formulate nootropics. Yes, yes. Katie, I've always said that moms of whatever uh, age uh, and, and uh, condition, you know, should always be paid a salary for, for running a household, for, you know, doing all of these things in the house, in addition to their current jobs, right? So they, they need to have, you know, it's another job altogether. And I've said that like, uh, you know, 15 years ago, it's like, they should have uh, a separate salary for that. Uh, and just for them, right? Uh, so, 
anyway, um, nootropics, the, the way I look at nootropics, uh, Katie, is that it's a form of brain balancing, right? You're balancing the functioning of your brain. And when I, uh, when I formulate nootropics, I classify them into, this is my personal classification because the classification of brain boosting agents there is very, um, is very confusing, right? As I said, we start with health optimization, right? And I, I said, hey, you know, vitamin B6 can, can improve your memory or methyl tetrahydrofolate can boost your memory and so on. And I call this health optimization nootropics, meaning they just, they just don't go to your brain. So if you see some vitamins there, minerals there that are um, uh, basically uh, being touted as nootropics, they're actually what I call health optimization nootropics. You know, it's, your, it's actually correcting those your, because your body needs it can already improve your brain function, right? So th that's the um, big story there. For example, when, you, uh, when, you're, when you're testing with clinical metabolomics, before you had to insert a huge uh, needle in the brain and then get a sample of brain biopsy, right? To check out the levels of uh, your neurotransmitters or these are the um, uh, messaging, messaging system in the brain. Uh, but now you could uh, actually correlate them now with their levels in urine and levels in platelets, and you can have an approximate uh, in the brain. And you take a look at basically four types of neurotransmitters. You, you're looking at, uh, you know, metabolites of dopamine, metabolites of serotonin, metabolites of epinephrine, right? And you they take a look at, for example, you know, the levels of kynurenic acid, which is the inflammation in the brain and so on. So you could see all of those now and you could see where uh, all of these things are actually needing some vitamins and minerals in the pathway. So that's the health optimization nootropic. So, so for me, it's like, it's like uh, you know, when, when, when something is actually needed by all cells in the body, you just put it there, classify it as a health optimization nootropic. And then there is what's called a performance uh, optimizing nootropic. And when you're trying to optimize performance, you're trying to overclock the performance of the brain, right? So most people will actually respond already to health optimization. They have better cognition, better memory, and so on. But when you try to overclock the brain, you better be sure that you're actually health optimized first, that, you're, that you're, all of the vitamins, minerals, hormones are optimal levels. And then you add this stuff in order for your brain to uh, function a little bit better. For example, here's where you can add particular um, plants like cuprazine A, for example, for which prevents the degradation of acetylcholine, right? And you know that acetylcholine is responsible for uh, essentially a lot of your working memory, right? The other thing that you could, you could do, of course, is you could give nicotine, right? Um, small amounts of nicotine is known to improve your working memory. And nicotine is a nicotinic acid, and you have your uh, nicotine receptors, right, in the, in the brain. And that's because we also have, you know, vitamin B3 is a close in structure to, to uh, nicotine, right? Uh, you have nicotinamide and, and so on. So, uh, so you could see that. I don't know. You may have heard even of, uh, uh, you know, NAD infusions and, you know, and, and stuff like that, but that's another subject. But it's 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 this this kind of things so where you're trying to push the performance, and you try to push performance only. For me, the way I do it is only after you've been health optimized, right? Because it's easier to, to do it that way. If you push it to imbalance because you overclock something in the brain, it can come back immediately to balance because it's health optimized. 
Now, the other classification is what I call blue tropics. And the reason I call it blue tropics is really not because of my product uh, that has methylene blue, but methylene blue is both health optimizing nootropic and a performance optimizing nootropic. So as a health optimizing nootropic, it donates electrons to your mitochondria and gives more energy to your brain, right? Uh, so it, uh, and uh, as a, a performance enhancing nootropic, it contributes to the signaling system um, of, uh, of your brain. And as a blue tropic, you know, you basically have a blue tropic stack. So you put, so for example, my product, uh, that I formulated actually, Katie, just for myself, right? Because I travel a lot. And then when you land, you have to be on because these are very either very important people who are running countries or, you know, who will appear on screen and you can't afford to be late and you can't afford for your mind to be foggy. So, you you know, for me, I formulated Blue Canteen. People liked it. It is methylene blue, uh, which is both a health optimizing and a performance optimizing tropic. It has nicotine. As I said, it improves memory. It has uh, CBD, and the reason I put CBD there is as it's an anti-inflammatory, but what it also does, it, it rounds out the pointy feeling that you get when getting nicotine. Now, I'm very uh, nicotine shy. You know, it's it's like there's only one milligram per trochee, and 0.25, uh, one-fourth of that will actually already do it for me. And then, of course, uh, there's uh, uh, methylene blue, uh, which which uh, provides energy to the brain. And it's a book, it's a buckle trochee, meaning, um, you know, it's like a lozenge, but you stick it up your gum and your cheek, right? And because it's closer to the base of the brain and it doesn't have to pass through the liver, right? The other uh, nootropic that I, uh, that was actually asked for from us is uh, uh, just blue, which is all just methylene blue, right? Um, and, and people wanted it for, uh, you know, for, they say that they revved up, revved up their brain uh, and so on. And now, you know, there are studies where actually they're uh, checking out methylene blue. Uh, in fact, the dosing was based on the study being done on methylene blue being used for uh, Alzheimer's and uh, methylene blue is now also being invest investigated for Parkinson's. So, but those are, you know, I'm not claiming those, you know, uh, those are uh, illness medicine types of uh, applications. I'm just, uh, we were just responding to people actually requesting for pure methylene blue for, for their purposes. So this is how I would classify nootropics so it doesn't confuse people, right? If, if it's actually naturally needed by the body, et cetera, then that's a health optimizing nootropic. If you just, if you, and usually with plants, right? If you want to, to rev up the functioning of your brain with some, uh, you know, phytoceuticals or uh, plants out there, then go ahead and do it. For example, you know, some people say that ginkgo biloba can increase, um, the, the blood flow to the brain, right? So you could see that these are now plants that actually improve the infrastructure of how the brain um, the brain will work, right? The brain needs more oxygen, et cetera. In fact, you know, your listeners can actually do this. They can actually, facing a wall, a blank wall, you know, they can just actually push themselves into the wall, you know, uh, basically scrunch their nose into the wall and push, put their hands up and uh, do a deep breath. You know, this will actually... Uh, actually straighten the carotid artery, you know, to the brain. And uh, if your hands are up and so on, and then take deep breaths and you'll see that your a foggy mind would clear rather quickly, right? Because there's more blood flow to the brain. That's what you could see, you know, um, these crazes about, you know, taking in oxygen, you know, uh, in, in small canisters and so on. 
I have an oxygen concentrator myself, you know, which I uh, use like 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the evening. So uh, these are the kinds of things that you can do for to enhance your brain performance. And of course, uh, you know, you could do the Blue Tropics, which are can, we actually have both health optimization and performance optimization uh, characteristics. But the key here, really, Katie. <laughs> the best nootropic without spending for anything is just go ahead and exercise. It's one of the most wonderful things that you could do, not only for your brain, really, but for your entire body. I love that. I think that's really important perspective is exercise is free and it's probably the most underused nootropic out there, but so effective. I'll make sure we put links for people to learn more about um, everything you just talked about, especially methylene blue, I'm guessing might be a new one to a lot of people listening. And certainly nicotine comes with its controversial is a controversial topic in general, just because of its association with tobacco and smoking. Um, but like, as you explained, nicotine can have a purpose within the body separate of that that can make it very beneficial. Are there any dangers to using nicotine when it's not included in a smoking capacity? You see, here, here, here's the thing, Katie. Uh, people have been mistaking nicotine from cigarette smoke. It's, uh, you know, if you put in, for example, if you put in water uh, and, and basically run it with cigarette smoke, right? And you just put nicotine in water and you put rats, right? Uh, and you will see that the rats actually would shun the, the one with nicotine and they would take the one with the, with the one that's been run in cigarette smoke. So there's something in cigarette smoke that actually makes nicotine addictive, right? The, the second point that I'd like to, to make here is that we do have these receptors in our system. It's much like cannabis, right? So uh, for example, phytocannabinoids are, 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 are coming from the uh, cannabis plant are molecules. And those molecules are actually also found in the body, right? Uh, you can, they are found in plants. They're also found produced by the body. So the uh, in nicotine, we also have nicotinic receptors. So they have they perform a certain function uh, in our system, especially in our muscular system, right? Uh, especially in our muscular uh, in in our neuromuscular system. It's what's called the neuromuscular junction, where the nerve where the nerve actually comes to join the muscle. And you could see there the nicotinic receptors and where it actually uh, actually works. So. I wouldn't, you know, for, for very low doses, I wouldn't be afraid of it. As I said, you know, I'm very sensitive to it. And my thing is this, Katie, you could buy like 200, 200 pieces of gum at four milligrams each in CVS, for example, you know, and here we are. It's like there's one milligram that you could divide a trochee into four. It's like, Really, we're we're not we're not promoting anything here, but the performance optimizing uh, capabilities of nicotine. A great explanation, thank you. And in the interest of respecting your time, I'll wrap up with a couple of questions I love to ask at the end. Although I hope you'll agree to around two one day. Um, the first being of your own personal practices. If you had to do an eighty twenty analysis of the things that are most effective for health in your daily life, what would make the cut? Well, <laughs> there's actually for me. The 80%, uh, Katie, the 80%, uh, which you basically pay, don't pay attention to is actually uh, your lifestyle. I know that the people will hate me uh, saying that, but, you know, when you, for example, uh, and this is, this is the way I would put it, you know, when you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing that you do, right? You basically wake up and say, oh, my God, I'm alive. And you have a meditation of gratefulness. Right. And then uh, you drink uh, 
a couple of glasses of water because your body is dehydrated overnight. And then you go, if you're lucky enough, you know, to have a yard, you know, you go out and ground yourself, right? Uh, bare, bare feet on the ground to, to fix your electromagnetic uh, activity in your body. And then, uh, you know, you, uh, you know, you uh, basically eat well. You take a look at what you're putting in inside your body. Um, aside from hydrating, you know, where women need about 2.7 liters of water a day, men about 2.9, right? Uh, and then, uh, you know, you mind what, mind, mind what you eat, you know, you, you move. Uh, essentially, you do, your, you do your exercises or um, the JAMA article that came out just uh, a few months ago, you know, this is a Journal of American Medical Association. This eight to 12,000 steps of whatever intensity reduces uh, all-cause mortality by about 63%. That's huge, right? So so why don't, you know, um, um, as I said before, uh, our interview here, um, you know, I'm actually, I have a, an under-the-desk treadmill and I'm on a standing desk, right? So um, uh, all of these things that you do when you're actually busy you could actually add these little things in your life uh, i used to lecture five years ago that you know sitting is the new smoking right and then it caught on i call it sitting guides because most people just sit right and then uh you breathe well and by that i mean um, aside from meditation you have air purifiers in your home you know you have uh, uh good lighting and so on because we always consider ourselves as separate from an environment and we're not we're very open to our environment. Our environment programs us as much as we program our environment. And we often, often forget that environmental aspect of how open we are. Look, you know, our breath is actually uh, coming in from the plants, right? So uh, the, the oxygen that we breathe. So uh, that's, that's uh, you know, it, it's just so stark that we forget that. And then of course you maintain your relationships, right? Uh, get rid of the toxic ones. And if you don't know how to deal with the toxic ones, then, you know, um, get someone to mediate. Uh, and then uh, I am sorry if that's going to be your partner, but uh, that's a different story. And then basically uh, fix your relationships because they're a source of stress. And the relationship is not only with people, right? Your relationships, your relationship with money, your relationship with your work, uh, you know, your relationship with stress and how you deal with stress. Right, your relationship with news and so on. So everything is actually in a connected sense, um, you know, a relationship. So it, it's you know we're thinking about only people when they do that, but you have a relationship with your pet if you have pets at home and so on. So take a look at those and evaluate them. You know, are they uh, helping or hurting you? You know, are you are you helping or hurting them? And then of course you know love well. Uh, essentially, uh, make sure that you and your partner, uh, you know, uh, don't sleep at night bickering at each other you know uh, basically talk it out and and see what it is so these are very very uh, simple things that you can do you know but the, the key here katie is just an awareness you know awareness of uh, where you're taking your day right so that's the 80 percent the 20 percent you can just do your health optimization and you know it will work for you so <laughs> Love it. And lastly, for now, um, is there a book or a number of books that have had a profound impact on your life? And if so, what are they? Yes, um, I'm, I'm a, you know, my research uh, uh, was in artificial intelligence and particularly in consciousness. And so uh, much of the books that have influenced me have something to do with that. But uh, for your listeners, I would actually recommend a really very short and old book that is very poetically written, um, and it's called Illusions uh, by Richard Bach. 
It has, uh, you know, um, it's the adventures of a reluctant messiah. And it has a lot of reminders there uh, for them, you know, for them to be able to to uh, read and to post, you know, in, in different parts of, of uh, like in the mirror or, um, you know, in their whiteboards, etc. And uh, the first uh, the first guide to the reluctant messiah, for example, is perspective, use it or lose it. Right. And all I'm asking, for example, this is very simple. Katie, if we apply it to health optimization, the perspective of illness medicine is looking at the body as a series of organs. That's why you have a cardiologist, a hepatologist, you know, a gastroenterologist, um, you know, a neurologist, and so on. But my perspective is the body is polybiont, meaning an, a, a group of creating organisms, of, of, of cooperating organisms, right? So all the cells, I don't look at them as organs, I look at them as, as cells that are cooperating with each other, right? So uh, they have to cooperate. Otherwise, if some, some cell says, I don't want to cooperate anymore, I want to live by myself, and then it develops into a cancer cell. So it's easy to see now the development of those things just based on the perspective. So uh, it's, a, it's a really cool book. I've read it now, you know, probably about 700 times. It's very short and easy read. So, you know, uh, I would recommend it to your listeners. Awesome. That's a new one. I'll make sure that's linked in the show notes at wellnessmama.fm. I'd also love to, uh, if you're willing, do a round two on the consciousness side since we didn't even get to get into that today. Hi. At some point in the future. Yeah, sure. I would be happy to do that. But that would be amazing. And De- depends on what psychedelic. Depends on what psychedelic you want to be on during that time, Kate. Understood. I think that'll be a fascinating episode, and you are certainly one of the top experts I can think of to explain that topic. So I think we'll definitely have to make that one happen. But for now, I want to respect your time. I know just how busy you are, and I'm so grateful for your time and for all of your knowledge today. Thank you, Katie. And thank you guys, as always, for listening, for sharing your most valuable resources, your time and your energy with us today. We're so grateful that you did. And I hope that you will join me again on the next episode of the Wellness Mama podcast. If you're enjoying these interviews, would you please take two minutes to leave a rating or review on iTunes for me? Doing this helps more people to find the podcast, which means even more moms and families can benefit from the information. I really appreciate your time. And thanks, as always, for listening.